Thank you for joining us for the PebCAC Podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all-around good people. It is week 33 of 2021, and I'm still waiting for summer to start. My oldest is starting school this week, and while I'm happy to have spent the summer with her, she's excited to go back to school. I'm Chris Louie, and with me, I have someone who wishes it was 55 degrees where he's at, Brian Deach. I, on the other hand, am waiting for summer to end. It's actually currently 111 degrees outside, and you know what they say, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, Epstein didn't kill himself. And someone who better get the episode number right this week, since it's a big one, Glenn Medina. Hey everyone, welcome back and thanks for joining us. Happy to be back for podcast number 2020. If you heard me mention the weather last week, we are cooling down here where I live. Uh, we're back down to 91 from 100 last week. And just like you, Chris, I'm happy because one of my kids has left the coop and gone, you know, gone back to college. And in another two weeks, I'll be bringing the next one. So I'm, I'll be close to being an empty nester. Great. Well, congratulations on that. And for our 20th episode, we have a guest this week, Jason Seaman, who I know is a fellow StarCraft player because he gets all my inside jokes on my blog and the podcast. Jason, would you like to introduce yourself? I would. Uh, Chris, I knew you were for real when I sent you a picture of an artosis pylon, and you knew exactly what the artosis pylon was. So. <laughs> all right. WTF, what the hell is our artosis pylon? <laughs> Uh, without getting into too much technical detail, it's a piece of equipment that powers a whole bunch of buildings, and there's a famous StarCraft player who built one in a very fragile position, and if it breaks, you lose all this other infrastructure at the same time. So, no, Okay, never mind, I asked. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> but uh, anyways, thanks for, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, my name is Jason Seaman. I'm a systems engineer with Zscaler, which seems to fit the theme of the guests uh, uh, coming on the podcast, but um, I've been around IT for uh, my whole life, basically, probably 20 plus years in the IT industry, most of it in the uh, networking space and in the OEM space as well. So about half customer, half OEM. I'm pleased to be here. So f funny story about Jason during his grad panel. And for those of you who don't know what that is, uh, when you when you onboard a Zscaler, you have to be like after six months, you get to stand in front of everyone and kind of like justify your opinions and like why you're smart at Zscaler and why you should be able to operate by yourself. So I'm on his graduation panel and this dude, he's killing it like you cannot rattle him at all. So I finally buckle down. I look him up in the, uh, the the gal. I find his text or his phone number for his text message. And as he's presenting on his i uh, on his iPad, I'm flooding him with this like random <laughs> inappropriate text messages just trying to rattle them at all and like it was nothing this is like this happens to me all the time brian people post my phone number on like craigslist want ads and i just get weird stuff i'm a, like it shocked me i just like i could not get you off your talk track whatsoever do you remember that yeah i do definitely remember that i don't know if i would call that a funny story as you found it funny uh being the person on the other <laughs> side of it but um i want to go back and find those text messages actually just to read the insanity of it all over again <laughs> so, so will we see, will we find Jason's number throughout bus stops and stations throughout the East Coast? Is that what I'm hearing? If you're lucky. No. <laughs> if you're lucky. <laughs> Combined, we have decades of information security experience and are here not just to educate, but to entertain. We've got four awesome stories for you this week, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So congratulations, guys, on 20 episodes. 
Our opening topic this week is Meghan Merkel teases the first look of her baby daughter Lilibet in a birthday video. Yeah, just kidding. Nobody cares about that. Now, the Delta variant of COVID-19 is making another round of lockdowns a real possibility. Now, without getting into the politics of it, the pro or anti-vaccine and masks, how are your localities handling the surge in cases? Now, I live Who the hell is in... Megan, by the way? I don't know that name. Should <laughs> I know that The Chancellor name? of Germany, uh, Ivan. How, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, in my locality, the seven Bay Area counties re-implemented an indoor mask mandate. So I think they're trying to hopefully stop the spread of it indoors. So we are... Not going into full lockdown mode, but we might be trending in that direction. And I know other areas of the country are, are handling it differently. So I just wanted to see how, how you guys are handling it. So I would say in Arizona, any place of business I go into, a mask is not mandated. But like we are like Rubio's. It's like a burrito place uh, last night and they had mask on. And then every single person that was working inside LA Fitness this morning also had a mask on. So I think uh, and when I talk to them, it's like, uh, you know, guests aren't, they, they don't have to wear them, but if you're employed here, we, it's, it's a mandatory at this point in time, which is kind of a bummer because they were supposed to open up the salsa bar at Rubio's. So I'm kind of bummed about that, but uh, you know, not first the salsa bar. I used to, I used to purposely dip my finger in there and taste it in front of people just to see what they would say. <laughs> you would do that. Don't, Glenn. don't invite Glenn to Thanksgiving. This guy is here to ruin lives. Oh, I, I was just talking to a customer maybe a couple minutes ago, and, and he was telling me up in Seattle, people have to bring in their COVID passport just to validate that they've gotten their, their shots, their immunization. So I was like, how is that enforceable? And is that going to bring along a, a, a new a new range of uh, falsified uh, COVID documents, right? Because it didn't look like it's a, it's a stamped piece of paper or anything like that. And it looks like something you definitely photocopy. What do you guys think? I love the idea that someone would go through the trouble of falsifying the document instead of just getting the vaccine in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) You got to be really committed to your cause to do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I hate to put this on, you know, I've got nothing against anti-vaxxers. I've got nothing against people that either do or don't, right? It's like, hey, if you want to get your vaccine, great. If you don't, great. Like I said, it doesn't affect me, right? Because you're going to live in your own world. But what my wife told me yesterday caught me off, off guard she has a friend who vaccinates herself, but is an anti-vaxxer for her pets. <laughs> so for her pets, she doesn't get the rabies shot. She doesn't get all these, you know, the whooping cough or whatever dog shots. And I was sitting there, I was like, that is really odd. But okay, hey, each person has, <laughs> has their own, right? So, yeah. All right, on to our first topic. So what's in a name? Do you guys know or have you ever heard of Anderson Consulting? Nope. It's not Arthur Anderson. No. Close. Anderson Consulting would move on to be renamed Accenture. And that was because of the ties to Arthur Anderson and the whole Enron uh, implosion scandal. Uh, another major rebranding effort was uh, Blackwater, the private military contracting company. They became ZXE, which eventually became Academy after a number of, uh, let's say, poor uh, PR events that happened to uh, poor Blackwater there. And lastly, 
Jerry's Guide to the World Wide Web. Do you know what company was originally called Jerry's Guide to the World Wide Web? Yes. Alta Vista? No. Yahoo? Yahoo. Good, Good job, Jason. Yeah, it, it was named after Jerry Yang, the founder and CEO of Yahoo. Presidential candidate Jerry Yang? <laughs> Andrew, I feel like yeah. when Jerry walks in the room, everyone's like, Jerry! <laughs> like, they just like, you know what I mean? Like this total hype crowd behind him and stuff like that. It would make a lot of sense. Just imagine, like you just have that, like just hype people. Brian! <laughs> Glenn doesn't have the same, you know, I delivery on there. Jason Glenn. does, though. Jason, <laughs> it's got to be a two. It's got to be a two acronym name, right? Two syllable name, yeah, yeah, or two uh, two syllables. Excuse me. Yes, yeah. So, so the reason that we're talking about rebranding is that there are a number of ransomware gangs that have rebranded themselves, and there's some research uh, put out that says there's a new ransomware gang called Black Matter, and all signs point to this being the Darkside ransomware crews. They're calling it Darkside 2.0. And they claim they've combined the features of notorious groups like R Evil and Darkside. And they said they're specifically interested in targeting large companies with annual revenues of more than $100 million. So this is truly whale hunting these ransomware crews are, are going after. However, the group is also saying they will enforce a strict code of ethics and some industries will be off limits. Like it's not going to extort healthcare, critical infrastructure, oil and gas, defense, nonprofit, and governments. Can you say colonial pipeline? The Doppelpamer gang now becomes the grief gang. So Doppelpamer dropped off the radar back in May. And this is actually a shout out to our employer, Zscaler Threat Labs. They did some original research and found that the Doppelpamer and Grief Gangs are one and the same. That's because early payloads of the Grief ransomware had a ransom note in it that pointed them to the Doppelpamer website. So whoops, they forgot to change that. So Doppelpamer and Grief Gang are one and the same. Lastly, uh, Avedon. The Avedon ransomware crew, they also dropped off the map unexpectedly, and they have come out again as Heron. So similar evidence, nearly identical before and after websites and text wording. Now, why do you guys think these ransomware gangs are rebranding themselves? Is this to avoid detection, leave behind a bad reputation, or are these companies just evolving? I think it's the short-term memory of people, right? So it's simple. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't, it's weird, right? I think that they're kind of styling themselves in a particular way. First of all, it's funny to me that you would have a gang and like you want to be known by something. Like if you think about a, a real criminal syndicate, like your goal is to operate under the radar, right? Not to be this like thing that everyone's looking for and going after. So I think there's a lot of like pride and quienes mas macho and like the whole, the whole thing between these different quote unquote gangs. Yeah, Glenn, when you talk about short memory, I, I think of like Chris Brown. Like Chris Brown was uh, somebody who assaulted his girlfriend and it looked pretty bad by the accounts of the photos that were that were taken over afterwards. And it wasn't that long until he became really popular in, in pop culture again that he, I, I remember he threw a fit at, was it GMA? He like took a chair and broke a window. Like this, this guy has major rage issues. Uh, this guy... Uh, beat up his girlfriend pretty badly, but somehow the public still loves him. Well, they're still making fun of him, though. Like, 
sorry to interrupt boys, but there's, there's like a ton of TikToks where it's like husband and wife or boyfriend, girlfriend, where the, 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 the female does something. And then the, uh, the, the song kicks on and goes, I woke up Chris Breezy. And then like, he's like reaching for a bat or something like that. Like it's super <laughs> sketch. I'll have to, I'll have to find some, and send them your guys way. Yeah. It's definitely interesting how, I, I guess on the corporate America side, it, it's the opposite. You want to build a brand when you think of just do it. You, you think of Nike, when you think of, you know, the world's low cost leader, you think of, of Walmart, like they really built these brands and there's a lot of equity in those brands. And, and maybe to Jason's point, it, it's the, you have the opposite problem in the underground crime world is after you become too notorious, like dark side, after they've hit colonial pipeline, that they want to get away from that and want to operate in a manner that won't get them sanctioned, won't get them thrown in a van somewhere. Well, take it one step down, right? Look at the Exxon Valdez, right? They it was a ship. It, it released a lot of oil. Had a had a had an accident out in the in the Puget in Alaska, and soon after they changed it to the Exxon Mediterranean, and then they changed the name again just to see if they can confuse people to the Exxon Sea River Mediterranean, and now it's just short for SR. So if you saw that and you scraped the layers of paint off, it was still the Valdez, right? So um, short, like I said, I don't know. I don't know if how many people remember that. Or if they're even old enough to remember that, but uh, that was a very uh, caustic event, right? That caused a lot of life, animal, animal and wildlife loss, right? And so, um, I don't know. Short-term memory, long-term memory. It's just a change, depending if it's bad or good. In this case, I think with uh, what, what Jason was saying, maybe it is that hey, we're we're evolving and we're making it better. I I think if they want by they like the you know whoever these guys are black matter if they want to be able to like get away with whatever they want no repercussions they should get out of ransomware and probably just go into politics yeah that's true there's if there's another industry that has a relatively short term memory it it is politics (laughs) so (laughs) sorry guys uh yeah All right, our next topic, and this topic came from our guest Jason, so we're going to let him go first. Tell us about a time you got hacked. Uh, yeah, first of all, I have two times, and I'll share them both. I'm not sure this is the, the right way to lead a security conversation with telling me about how <laughs> dumb you were, but I'll do it anyways. Um, the first one's interesting, and, and my memory's fuzzy on it because the era is like 1996. But it has some relation, I think, to the current like ransomware trend, which was how do I extract money out of hacking someone, right? At the end of the day, that's kind of what's become interesting about ransomware is you can get paid by doing it. For a long time, hacking was a sport at best or something nefarious at worst. So in the 90s, this was the era of dial-up, right? And beyond all sorts of dial-up different things, And I downloaded a couple of programs that had me dial specific numbers. You know, it said, hey, you can get this software if you dial this number with your modem, or hey, you can play games if you dial into this thing. And um, I tried a couple of these different numbers and they worked or didn't work. But what I learned subsequently when I got the bills, the phone bills for these numbers, was there's a couple of interesting things about that era of dial-up. First thing that I didn't know as a 15-year-old kid who allegedly had unlimited long distance was that there are numbers that look like they're United States numbers, 
but are actually uh, Puerto Rico numbers. And so your unlimited long distance does not apply despite the fact that you may see it looking like, a, looking like what appears to be a normal US number. So that was the first way I got burned. It wasn't clear to me how that was monetized by the person doing it, uh, but I, uh, it was clear to me what the repercussions were from my parents. Um, and the second thing that happened, and this is a little fuzzier, um, there was apparently an exchange in middle America, let's call it Illinois or Indiana, and all the long distance exchanges had an agreement about how much money they'd pay to connect long distance services from one telco to the other telco, for example. Well, that was true except for this one exchange in Indiana. They had a different rate structure. And so the idea of this hack or whatever it was, was to get you to connect through this weird number in Indiana that would essentially allow them to charge marked up rates to the telcos, and then they would siphon money off in this way by forcing your connection to dial through this weird number. So I tried to Google this to get more info for you guys. It's, it's impossible to Google this kind of craziness that you remember, but I'm just curious if anyone else, does that ring a bell with anyone or am I off in crazy land on this thing? I definitely remember those chain emails that got sent around that said, if you get a number with this prefix, do not call it. And I mean, for, for those chain emails, it was, this was before Snopes, of course, and other, other fact-checking organizations. But it, I, I, rem I distinctly remember seeing some emails that said, yeah, if you call this number, it's not a U.S. number, and you'll get charged like $20 a minute or something. So it's a to don't call it. So I, that one I'm, I'm familiar with. Uh, whether it was true or not, based on the chain emails I got, not sure. But I guess in your case, it happened to be true. <laughs> That's right. And uh, so I'll just share my other story real quick, too. And then I'm very interested in the rest of the security professionals on this uh, podcast sharing their story. But uh, my other one is really recent, like this year. Uh, so 42 years I live on this earth and have avoided fishing to that point. Uh, but my wife is a travel writer, and she runs her own blog. It's called Zen Life and Travel, if you're into that sort of thing. And she writes for a site called UpgradedPoints.com. So if you're into those credit card points and travel and all that stuff, check them out. But she forwarded me an email in the middle of the day, and she's like, hey, I'm getting this alert. Something's wrong with my website. I'm clicking too fast. I'm reading too fast. Sure enough, it's a phishing site that looks exactly like the login page for her blog hosting site. And so I tell her, hey, get up here, log into this thing. And it wasn't until a day later, and I just thought about it, and I'm like, something wasn't right there. And I went back and looked, and I'm like, this was the dumbest phishing attack. The URL didn't make sense. The subject line didn't make sense. But I think it just goes to show you that even, like, someone who's conscious and in this field, it only takes, like, one slip-up, one mistake. And that really speaks to the value of, like, MFA and things like that that would have caused this to hitch up, and we just didn't have any of that implemented, so... So now we do, thankfully. So to your first thing that you were talking about, um, not that I have a, a theory or anything uh, of value to add, but recently I saw some dude that was getting hit up with telemarketers all the time. So he purchased a like a, a toll number that was not like 1-800 or 877 like that and then blasted it out there to where these telemarketers are coming in and calling him. So it cost him like $25 a month to have this phone number. And then he would just keep people on the phone forever. And he ended up like over the course of a year, he made like 2,500 bucks or something like that. <laughs> there is, I was like, you scammed the scammers. I like that one yeah. though. It's called so back he, wait, 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 wait. So he created, he created his own 888 number in order to, to make money yeah. off of that. Exa yeah, that's exactly it. So. <laughs> that is genius. 
Dude, this is like I was the, hoping it'd be big money, but it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot for like the freaking days. I mean, like, you know, it used to be just like, hey, can I get a free long distance call? Ooh, you know. So we're making real money off this kind of phone stuff is cool. Do you guys ever do that? And you would back when we had pay phones, you would put, you know, a couple dollars worth of quarters in the pay phone, record the sound, hang up, get your quarters back, and then you just replay that sound and you get free long distance calls. Do you guys ever do that? That was early in the day, right? Yeah. So. Is it okay to say we did? Or is it, there's a statute of limitation here? I think the statute of limitations. Uh, seven, oh, okay. years. Do, seven years. Do you guys know a friend that did that? <laughs> Remember that in the black? So I had that, and they also had like the little black box that would descramble the channels coming in, yeah. all the pay channels. Yeah, I remember yeah. the black box, yeah. I remember scraping together like the 50 bucks it cost. I was like, can't believe I have this kind of disposable income to buy something so stupid. <laughs> Yeah, for, for me, I, I told you about my Best Buy story where someone got into my account despite having a unique and long, complex password. But um, another time was when I was traveling, and this was before I got a mobile hotspot, and I used the hotel Wi-Fi. And I was only on the public Wi-Fi for less than a minute because my protocol usually was to connect to the public Wi-Fi, then fire up an SSL VPN to secure my connection. But that small window, that was actually long enough for someone to grab my Amazon password. And about an hour after I logged onto the public Wi-Fi, I connected to my SSL VPN. But then I got an alert from Amazon that there was a suspicious login attempt on my account. And this was back in the day before Amazon supported MFA. They, they do now, think thankfully. But yeah, back back then it wasn't. And uh, again, just goes to show some people heavily rely on free Wi-Fi or hotel Wi-Fi and, and don't use a VPN. But someone on the wire can potentially sniff that traffic. Yeah. How the hell did that even happen? Like that should, the transport security should per, prevent something like that from going not if they like, tell you to, is, Not if they tell you to, not if they tell you to use a certificate in order to use that wireless connection. You can't man in the middle of my connection going to, to Amazon unless I've trusted it. Right. Should be like, yeah. I guess the real question is why on earth are you sending clear text passwords? That's the only way that actually occurred. And like back in the day, like if it was really old, I can see that happening. But in the last five yeah. years, I, I think that'd be a lot easier or a lot harder than, than actually implemented. Yeah, it wasn't SSL inspection because I didn't install the cert, but this was, I want to say 10, maybe 10 years ago or so. And it, it was it wasn't that I went to Amazon.com and logged into the to the website because I wouldn't do that without a without a VPN. I think it was the actual Amazon app that was on my device and it might have sent like a cookie in, in the clear and it like grabbed my session cookie or, or something that way. The sons of guns. How dare they? Yeah, but but thankfully Amazon had the fraud detection measure and said, yeah, this login looks unusual. They blocked it, reset my password and, and did all that. I just realized 10 years ago, it wasn't 1997 guys. Like, Oh my God, that wasn't that long. <laughs> time flies. <laughs> yeah. Time does fly. We're no so, longer yeah, on my, 40 my bit hack. encryption certs. Oh, go ahead, Jason. No, I was just saying we're no longer on 40 bit encryption certs on the World Wide web. Yeah. Thank God. So yeah, my, my, uh, my hack that I fell victim for, you know, started off, uh, got an email from a Nigerian prince. <laughs> Did you send money? I'm where just, this is going? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. That didn't happen. No, uh, there was only one time that it actually happened. It was like the AOL um, dial-up days, right? Like I zero 
password, like you know, whatever. But the, these guys, it was it was cult. I think the the clan was called Cult of the Dead Cow. You guys, yeah, you familiar with that? Yeah. Um, what's his name? Uh, Robert Francis O'Rourke, that, that that guy who ran for senator in Texas. Um, he was part of the Cult of the Dead Cow. Yeah. So uh, they got me, and they installed a very handy tool called Back Orifice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, I remember yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, but the guys were cool enough. They're like, hey, you know, like once they were done, you know, kind of trolling me, they're like, hey, just, you know, turn on your printer. We'll show you how to like to remove it. And they give me a bunch of like, you know, instructions on how to like do it myself and how to con other people into installing it as well. And then I went from from back Warface. I don't know what the transition was, but there was also one called Sub 7. Do you guys remember that? I don't remember Sub Seven. Yeah, Sub Seven was great because you you would just go out on LineWire and be like, you know, your shared folder. You put in like you you renamed the executable that you would create to like MSN password stiller, and then like you know, three hundred people will download it, and then you've just got remote access into all these machines throughout the world. And yeah, that was the big one. That was that was back in the day. It must have been ninety eight, maybe probably the last time I fell victim to something like that. That you know yeah. of. And I think that's the interesting bit of this too, isn't it? Like we're telling the times mm-hmm. when we figured it out. I don't know how many times when I haven't figured it out. And that's a little scary. Yeah. I got caught and my daughter was searching for a pair of Nikes that she said was almost impossible to find. She found them on the internet and asked me for my credit card. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm, I'm kind of busy doing work. And I handed her the credit card. And the minute she hit send or enter, I kind of did a double take and I was like, wait a minute, let me go look at that website. And she goes, I already ordered it. The shoes are coming next week. And I'm like, no stinking way. And the next thing I knew, my credit card was just, I was getting all kinds of alerts that my credit card was being used for all kinds of things. I think I got like a $5,000 bill from Nordstrom's that, that evening and quickly killed it. So <laughs> Always buy through reputable websites, I guess is the That's lesson right. there. Yeah. Our next topic. Now, I I've said I don't want to turn the Pepcac podcast into the ransomware podcast, but I always make exceptions when there's something new or exceptional, and I believe this to be the case. CNA Financial, they're an insurance company based out of Chicago. They got hit with a ransomware attack. The initial investigations point to a malicious and fake browser update being the culprit of how the attackers got in. So that was their remote access tool, got into the network. The Phoenix Crypto Locker ransomware gang is taking credit for the attack. They were breached in March and only got operations fully running in, in May, so they were down in some form or fashion for about two months. The time from breach to attack was approximately two weeks, echoing a disturbing pattern where ransomware gangs are being very patient to study the network and determine how to inflict the maximum amount of damage. Phoenix Locker is believed to be a new ransomware strain developed by the Evil Corp hacking group to avoid sanctions after victims of Wasted Locker ransomware were no longer able to pay their ransoms due to fines and legal action. So Evil Corp is one of the list of sanctioned um, organizations by the U.S. Treasury. So if they get hit, you're not allowed to pay Evil Corp. So as a callback to story number one of this week, uh, that could be a reason for, for the name change. They did a spinoff or a subsidiary. Now that that all sounds normal so far, so why are we even talking about it here and now? Well, Bleeping Computer is reporting that the ransomware operators 
encrypted the remote workers' devices that were logged into the company's VPN during the attack. And, and that's a twist because typically it's an infected laptop bringing the infection onto the corporate network over the VPN. But this time the ransomware reached out to the remote laptops through the VPN. During the pandemic, many organizations were forced to approve BYOD because laptops were in such short supply. I don't know about you guys, but I would be steaming mad if my personal laptop got ransomware because I was connected to my company's VPN. Zero trust, baby. <laughs> I don't trust you, and <laughs> no one trusts me, right? So That's why VPNs are stupid. Yeah. I'm sure you're going to make a soundbite out of that, Chris, because you always do. <laughs> but, like, keep That's the users off the network. Yeah. yeah. Don't let them talk. By the way, so CNA, CNA Financial, is this the same as CNA Insurance? Is it like, or CNA National, or is it a different company? I, I think they're they're all related. So when when you say financial, it probably covers you know insurance and banking and probably has some other other sectors. But I'm I'm sure they're related. That's crazy. I think they actually have an office in Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm gonna have to read. I, I know those guys. I mean, kind of know those guys, but I should probably reach out to them, see what's going on. It, well, I mean, if you talk about if you talk about VPN, you're just part of the network, right? At that point, you're an extension of the corporate the corporate network and. What you see is what you get. It works both ways. So that I'm just surprised, again, how the failures of VPN show itself and people still love it or people still attach themselves to it and don't want to move away from it. Here's an unpopular opinion. It's because the people that run the VPNs have nose hair that grows into their mustache hair and they stopped learning in like 1999. Like, the, you know... There's this old school way of thinking of it. They think they can control the world through castle and moat, but they're wrong. They're so I bet, wrong. I bet you they still have a bank of modems that are sitting there accepting VPN connections. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> I'm actually surprised it took this long for, for it to happen because when you're on VPN, like you have an IP address, you're, you're logically on the network. And for you know, most, most organizations, the flat network, when this thing spreads laterally and, and propagates, I'm surprised it took this long for it to reach out from the corporate network onto the remote user's VPN. But at least this is the first time I've ever heard of it happening and wonder if there's going to be a trend going forward. Yeah. Hey, one of the stories that I had is in a, in a, in a previous life, uh, I had a, uh, one of our, one of the managers had a sonic wall firewall VPN at his home, nothing in sonic wall, right. And it's still VPN technology, but it's a hardwired VPN and his kids plugged in the Xbox into his sonic firewall. And everyone was wondering why our network was slow at the corporate headquarters, because guess what traffic was coming across <laughs> Xbox live. <laughs> so that was like, how did we let this happen? How, and, and it quickly became like, yeah, we need to remove the sonic firewalls from everybody's house because we're realizing that not everyone's securing them. It's just an extension of basically you're leaving an open, an open, um, an open uh, cl uh, wiring closet to someone's house that can connect to you. Right. So not a good thing. Just, just imagine if you plug in like a wireless access point in that and it's unprotected, just somebody off the street connects to your, your unprotected Wi-Fi and then that gives you corporate access. Like that's yeah. terrifying to think about. Yeah. Yeah. I used to but think real, it was cool, yeah. right? I used to think it was cool because I had a voice over IP phone and I, I could grab my phone calls from home with a physical hard phone and 
like oh that's awesome and then you realize so what <laughs> i've got a cell phone now <laughs> there was back- a yeah we had a back at university of phoenix when i worked over there they had uh, aruba wraps you guys remember those mm-hmm. devices they, like they so basically them. yeah 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 like hey take this home plug it into your you know to your network and then like the ssid will be broadcast it was normally at work you just automatically join um turns out one lady didn't really pay attention to like the like the WAM port versus like the uh, the uh the actual hard phone that she was plugging in and created some sort of random loop by plugging it in the wrong port and took down everything like anything that was voice was was down through the entire organization that that was a a bad but a terrible bug for sure how long did it take you guys to figure out whose phone caused it how long were you guys down for before you figured it out oh my it it was seriously probably number one i didn't even run the the thing so they they brought in the sc and then they had like some aruba guys there that were specialists but it it went on for hours because it was one thing to uh you know, stuff is down, not working. It's another thing when that person is working at home and the only way you can call them is on the hard phone that's plugged in incorrectly <laughs> and trying to, you know what I mean? Like it was just impossible. So, yeah. yeah. You almost have to ask yourself for, for those things. It's like, you would like to think that a cell phone is cheaper than buying a device that physically plugs into a network, right? And then all the supporting equipment that sits behind there. It's like, that is so... That is so 80s. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I remember they offered me a phone. I'm like, what? Yuck. No, I got an iPhone 4, baby. I don't need, I don't yeah. need that caveman yeah. device. Yeah. But I think this was all like IT's attempt to improve the user experience, right? These are the tools they had available. Like, hey, it really, the VPN sucks. Maybe it would be better if I had Wi-Fi in my house or something like that. Or my experience is bad. Maybe it would be better if I was going through a device that IT gave me. So... I think these like solutions were like right-minded in the sense they were trying to fix user experience, which is important. They just had the wholly wrong technology to to make it right. And I think that's like you were saying, Brian, earlier. Like people got to keep up with the times and adapt to technology to to solve the the problem. I think you said it better than me. I think I was being a little bit of a jerk, but yeah, I think you're right. We got to keep up with the times. And for and for the audience, right? We keep talking like zero trust and VPN sucks, but to, to kind of paint a perfect picture, the idea would be you hand an employee a laptop and that laptop just seamlessly connects back to internal applications based off of identity and posturing if you really need it. And if they need to go out to the internet, they just go directly out to the internet, but it's secured the whole time. And meanwhile, when this agent or whatever that is you know, you know, uh, steering this traffic around, it's transparent to the end user, right? They're, they're not actually having to sign in or sign out is just something that grabs a hold of that traffic and and steers it appropriately. And to be very specific, you would um, if you're listening from like a, a business standpoint, you like you have all these internal applications and you have external ones as well. The idea there would be if it was an internal app, you can still be able to interface with it and act with, you know, and, and be able to, to, you know, log in and do whatever you need to that application. But you're not going to be on the network, the same network as it. So you're almost treating everything like it's Office 365. You can get there if we authenticate and authorize you. But as far as being on the network, you're no longer there anymore. So kind of treat everything like it's the Internet. And I think you have a way better user experience, in my opinion. 
All right, on to our last topic, and this is going to be a rotating topic every week. And this week I, I came across an article by Troy Hunt, and Troy runs the Have I Been Pwned uh, website, so a very good and useful tool. But it, it poses a philosophical question of who owns your corporate email address? This topic came up during the Ashley Madison hack back in, in 2015. And for those of you unaware of what I'm talking about, there's a social networking slash dating site called Ashley Madison, and their sole purpose is to facilitate extramarital affairs. It's a meetup place for cheaters. What astonished me after the hack, because the hackers did release the data, which included names and email addresses of their subscribers, was how many .gov and .mil email addresses were in the database. .gov typically means U.S. government, and .mil typically means members of the Department of Defense. There were state.gov, who worked for the U.S. State Department, FBI.gov, which belongs to the U.S. Law Enforcement Agency. So I have to ask, why on earth would you use a corporate email address for, number one, anything personal, and number two, especially a website for cheaters? It, it's for <laughs> research only. It's for research only, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you told your wife, Glenn? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know I had five emails signed up. They're all purely just research. I want to know if they were interconnected, and I want to know if I would get a pond in that situation. Yes, purely research. <laughs> in the U.S., it's pretty clear-cut that there's no expectation of privacy for corporate email or corporate-owned devices. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm still shocked at what people say over company email and company chat, but in other parts of the world, there are instances where corporate email is off limits for employers to snoop on. I think it's, 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 yeah, it's the corporate's email, like that all bets are off. Um, and on a note to, you know, going back to, our, I think our first story, did, is Ashley Madison still around or did they rebrand? Are they like AshleyElizabeth.com or like what's, <laughs> what's actually going on there? See, rebranding again. Here we go. <laughs> as far as I know, they're still alive and kicking under the, the same name. Talk about short-term memory. Yeah, I don't know how they stopped trending, but good for them. (laughs) Jesus, this is like one of those weird ones where I think like, um, and sorry to cut you off, Brian. I just wanted to, on the, like, you guys were talking about this last week. This idea of like, people being literate and educated in security and technology and how to do that. I honestly just think a lot of people don't even make a distinction between corporate email and personal email and cloud. It's all a black box to them. And so like having some way to raise the baseline would probably help cut out a lot of this craziness where someone ever thought it was okay to use their gov email address for Ashley Madison. There's just a wide technical illiteracy that exists in the world today. I couldn't agree more. That That is, I think that's plain and simple. And I, I tell my kids all the time, it's like, hey, you leave a digital footprint wherever you go how what you use the formats that you use the emails that you use do not ever think that that stuff is private no matter what you think your conversations exist um even with things like signal and and you know the 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 other the other messaging platforms um there's such things and i tell them while you may have disappearing messages people can still take screenshots of that and that thing will exist and perfect persist in other environments right so uh, be cautious and it's if you don't want uh, me to be able to see it or think of what you know your grandmother would say if you wrote those things be cautious right so. yeah and i think if you're dumb enough 
to use your work email address on any of these sites, right? You are surely dumb enough to be using the same email address and password in, in other locations of the world, whether it's your own personal email or, I don't know, your Xbox Live account or some other nefarious website. I guarantee uh, that this is probably still an issue. And even then, right? I mean, I, I, I'm sure there's not one of us that has just one email address. We've all branched out, right? Um, but I did tell the, I know I've educated my kids a little bit as well. Things like Gmail account and Yahoo accounts. Don't think that those are not private <laughs> by any stretch, right? If they're a free service, it's going to be read by somebody else or it's being stored and can be, can be read by somebody else. Whereas opposed to some of the paid email services out there. I would like to think I'd have a little bit more confidence in, but again, you guys tell me if I if I'm if I'm wrong in that regards. Someone's gonna get on my family recipes, man. I'm pissed. Jesus, <laughs> gotta take them out of there now. Yeah. They say if the product is free, then you are the product. Yeah, I personally use uh, Proton Mail, so I, I pay for the, the the paid tier of Proton Mail, and I use them for my email provider. And they're they're based in Switzerland. It's all encrypted. They they've been audited. They have trust no one security. I I like them a lot, and recommend them if you're looking for private email. As curious, does anyone else here use their own private email? I I I subscribe to the Outlook. I mean, the Office three sixty five, right? So I'd like to think that's private in some sense, even though it's multi tiered, but. I, like I said, I'm waiting for someone else to tell me, yeah, that's actually not private, Glenn. It's somewhat private because Microsoft, some, the FBI can show up with Microsoft and say, give me all Glenn's emails and they'll be able to do that. But if, like uh, with ProtonMail, since they're based in Switzerland, there's jurisdiction and then there's also the encryption part of it that with true trust, no one security, they can hand over the emails, but all the emails will be encrypted and only I can decrypt them. Sold. I'm going to have to switch over. <laughs> yeah, Ashley Madison. I'm coming back, <laughs> Ashley Madison. <laughs> we continue to get great comments about our dad joke of the week. Dad joke of the week. This week, our guest Jason is up. Uh, okay, so I, I Pressure. must confess. Pressure's on, Jason. Pressure's on. <laughs> there's no pressure because I'm not actually a dad joke teller, but I do have two quasi-dad jokes here for you guys. The first one was... All right, go for it. I, I asked my dad, or I asked my dad, I asked my daughter, who's seven years old, told her I had to do this dad joke, and she says, I have one for you, Dad. And I said, okay, tell me. So this is the lens of a seven-year-old, what they think a dad joke is. And she says, you have to have weather whether you want it or not. I said, hmm. <laughs> Apparently wordplay is somehow associated with the dad joke, which I think was a good insight. I think that's, that's generally a good true. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's true. yeah. It's true of dad jokes. Okay. I'm, I'm semi-pissed that your seven-year-old's smarter than me. <laughs> if you've heard Bride's dad jokes, yeah, that was actually pretty good. <laughs> All right, let's wrap things up. Ransomware gangs are rebranding themselves, possibly to avoid sanctions or their poor reputation. The hosts talk about how they've been hacked. Ransomware is not, is a threat to BYOD devices while on VPN. The perception of who owns the corporate email address varies wildly by country. And Jason's daughter has some awesome dad jokes. That's all I have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find us all on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description. You can help us grow the podcast by telling someone else about it. 
We appreciate you all spreading the word to help grow the show. The best way to find us is to search for the PEPCAC podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For my co-hosts Glenn Medina and Brian Deach, and our guest, guest Jason Seaman, I'm Chris Lloyd. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week, and as always, have a nice day. Thanks, everyone. Have a good one. And if you shared this podcast with somebody, you're 10% more likely to get hacked. Wait, that's not what we want to say. <laughs> not hacked. Less fished. Fished? Unfished. 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 Feast. Feast. <laughs>